as Catholics, we're, we're baptized, right? And so our baptism calls us to be more creative than the secular world. With the tools that the secular world is using, we can use those same tools too, but we should be more creative than what the world is offering and draw people in into a deeper beauty through those, those different resources. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communication and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony. And today I am joined by three-time runner-up to Employee of the Month, Stephen Linehan. He's back. I'm back. And why are you at my desk, Nate? This is where, this is my (laughs) office. Get out of my office. That's right. It's yours. It's all yours now. (laughs) So, Stephen, you're back at St. Anthony's. Yeah. Uh, You worked here for how long? Well, I actually worked here twice. So I worked here for uh, two or three years back. Oh my gosh. Let's see. Back in 2009, uh, I was youth minister back then uh, when I was young and fresh out of college, uh, working with the the high schoolers and then uh, left and went to Atlanta for a little while. And then uh, at the time, Father Tom uh, asked me to come back and, and do your job. So yeah. Uh, so came back into development and communications for a few years and uh, absolutely just cherished the years uh, that I got to be a part of St. Anthony's on a, on a daily basis. It's, it's definitely one of those parishes that you're a part of it once, but it abs- it never leaves you. It's, it's actually kind of hard sometimes going to other parishes uh, when you leave St. Anthony's. At least that's how I feel about it. So. That's awesome. So while you were a youth minister... Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, not to sh- not to give away your age or anything like that. My wife was one of your high school kids. <laughs> she was. Little known fact: your favorite high school youth minister kid of all time. Uh, I will not say that publicly because <laughs> I'm afraid of who else might be listening. But I will I will say she was. Uh, we'll say top five. Top five. You're not supposed to have favorites as a youth minister, but um, now that I've it's it's been <laughs> with some over distance. A, yeah, it's been over a decade, so I, I don't feel bad. But yeah, she was top five. I'd love to see that top five list, and I'd love to see the bottom five list. You will have to pay me. You'll have to pay me a lot. So uh, maybe not for the bottom five. I can give you that one real <laughs> Just quick. off the top of your head. Yeah. These guys. No, it, it's always interesting, even with that bottom five, <laughs> uh, to see you know where they end up as adults, right? Like Like God's grace is abundant and moves. And so sometimes like the kids in youth group that are the most challenging end up like surprising you the most with, with how God moves in their life. Like when they go beyond and, and that's the cool thing, right? Like in youth ministry, it's not about, uh, it's not about a personality or, or a youth minister or a core member. It's really about like introducing these people to the grace of God and letting him work in their lives and us stepping out of the way. So yeah, that's true. It, and in fact, working with uh, youth ministers or other, you know, catechetical leaders, sometimes those, those are the kids they'll like, I'm going after that guy. Yeah. The, the kid who can't focus, who's who's talking trash in the back of the class. Like, yeah. That's the guy we're spending time on because, you know, maybe that's Saul or that's someone yeah. who is going to have an, an enormous impact. And, and I think I do think it's true that a lot of times those types of personalities uh, turn into incredible uh, Christians, yeah. Once they've had their conversion, because yeah. they're they're on they're on fire for something. Sometimes they're on fire for punk music. Yeah. I don't know if kids listen to punk music anymore, but no, you know what I mean. I don't know if that genre's still around, but I, I know what you mean. But I I'll never forget my first summer at St. Anthony's taking kids to summer camp at Covecrest in Georgia, and a couple of our kids who they know who they are got in trouble, uh, and I won't I won't reveal on the podcast what they did, um, but uh, I was just. As a, as a youth minister felt like I was such a failure, like I had, you know, 
the whole thing. It was just kind of a mess. And I'll never forget Randy Rouse, who's the president of Life Team still. Um, he said to me, he was like, Stephen, like, this is awesome. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean this is awesome? Like, these kids did this and this is a disaster. And he goes, no, this is awesome. He's like, because these are the ones that God wants the most. And he, these are the ones he's like chasing. And I was like, oh, like, this is like mind blowing as a, as a young, you know, 20 something youth minister, it kind of really flipped the idea of like mercy and grace on its head for me and how I should be approaching these kids in the youth group. It's a little prodigal sunny. Yeah. Because as the, I was probably the older son in in many of these situations. Yeah. I'm like, you're going after the young, you're going after the guy who ran away. I can totally relate. I was generally more the older son in the story too. Like it would always, I didn't really get like why, you know, people would be doing whatever they were doing and, and somehow still God had a, had love for them. And so we have to get over that. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my sin is this jealousy of, of, of it all. And, and I wasn't creative enough to get into much trouble growing <laughs> up, but, um, so Steven, you're here with yeah. Push Bay. Yeah. They came back yeah. to campus. They're, they're doing yeah. a little tour. So tell us what you're, what you are doing at Push Bay and, and why you guys came to campus today. Yeah. So I, when I left St. Anthony's, uh, it was a sad departure for me in a lot of ways because this still feels like, you know, family and, and community for me when I come back and visit, um, push pay, we adopted push pay at St. Anthony's back in uh, 2018 because we were looking for a really good online giving provider. Um, and we felt that at the time that push pay was the best and I still believe it is. Um, and so one of the things about push pay though, is the company really started out more in the evangelical market, um, serving, you know, a lot of different denominations and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't kind of get into the Catholic market. We're a different animal when it comes to how we, view, you know, giving and generosity and stewardship. And we have a a few more nuances. And so, uh, the company at the time, they, they were, you know, really eager to try and help the Catholic market. And I was eager to see this good technology in more Catholic churches. Right. I think that sometimes at a parish like St. Anthony's, we have a tendency to forget the average Catholic experience and the average Catholic parish experience out there. Um, Texas is an anomaly in terms of how the Catholic church is growing here. If you go to places in the Midwest and the Northeast, you know, churches are consolidating. They don't have the staff, they don't have the resources. And so my kind of motivation for going to push pay was to start uh, working on this new vertical and building out this Catholic wing of the company, um, and to help with that process so that we could get this good technology in the hands of as many parishes, uh, you know, across the country as possible. Yeah. So even as something as technical and, and, you might think uh, not doctrine related. Mm-hmm. You know, you think uh, Catholic and evangelical churches, that's where the differences lie, but at their staff, surely they're the same. But even on the, the level of stewardship, how is it different at a Catholic parish versus uh, like a large evangelical parish? Yeah, I think um, at most, <clears throat> from what I can tell, at most like evangelical parishes or churches, you have, you don't have as many funds, right? Like, and there's kind of a different understanding of how you give and the names of the funds. So like at a evangelical church, you'll have, you know, the general, uh, collection plate. Um, but then you'll, and then you'll have like a missions fund and there's really generally not more than like, it seems like five to 10 funds at any given time. Uh, from what I can tell at, at an even evangelical church. Whereas when you look at a Catholic church, we have the general offertory and then we have like 30 second collections that we give to throughout the course of the year, plus anything additional, like, you know, uh, the diocesan services fund or Easter uh, flowers, Easter flowers or capital campaign. Yeah. All that, all those kind of funds. So there's a lot more uh, nuance. I also think, and this is no, uh, this is no shade or shame on, on anyone. 
um, but on average, Catholics give less. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, some of it is that we're not as good at asking, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or we're afraid to ask because of, you know, uh, it's not in anyone's comfort level. And I always think the thing that we can learn from the evangelicals is that's a shame because when we don't ask, we're not inviting people into the mission of the parish or into the life of the church. And there's a lot of people that are just waiting to be asked. And, and I think that that's something that we can learn. Um, and then the other reason sometimes why I think that, you know, there, there might be on average a smaller gift, um, is, and a lot of times in Catholic communities, we take in folks that have smaller, uh, means, which is a good thing, right? We, uh, we bring in the immigrants, the poor, the whoever needs help. And so sometimes that can alter the average gift per parishioner. So, you know, at a parish like St. Anthony's, it's a very generous parish in terms of what comes in and offertory, but the average gift is smaller, but that's also because we have people of all different backgrounds that come to this parish. Um, it's not kind of a, a, you know, one focus. That's interesting. Do you think that an additional reason is uh, in the Catholic world, you have to go? You know, you, you, you grow up Catholic and you maybe got married Catholic and there's a whole subset of people at our parish and maybe at St. Anthony's it's less because I do think this is a vibrant parish, but there are still people in the pews who are not connected at all sure. to the mission. Yeah. People, when they're, not, when they're not connected to the mission or they don't feel a part of the community, they're not going to be inspired to give. Um, that's, that's one thing. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's when you reach out to someone in the pew and you shake their hand and you make them feel welcome, you don't realize the impact you can be having to invite them into the life of the community, not just to giving, um, but just to feeling a part of something. And then when they feel a part of something, they join a ministry, they go join St. Anthony's Bread, and then the Holy Spirit starts to kind of become alive in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's all generosity and all that sort of stuff. It's all very much connected um, in that sense. Yeah, I think part of what my job is, and maybe part of what PushPay is trying to do, is provide opportunities to be generous. Yeah. Because we, we all believe, uh, once you buy into this type of thing, that stewardship and, and generosity and putting money into the plate is is not just a something you have to do because you walked in the doors of the parish. It's something right. that it should come from it's, the heart. It comes from the heart and it's a call. It's a it's a demand from Christ Himself. But not just to fund the parish. I mean, I I, I think that giving of what you need, giving it away, in turn makes you more. Uh, open to receive other types of gifts. You know, it's not the prosperity gospel where the more you give the, you know, the richer you'll be monetarily, but there is a sense in which the more we give of of ourselves, of our time, talent, and treasure, the more ready we are to receive other types of gifts. And the more generous we will see the world. We'll see God. We'll see God as being much more generous when we're generous. Yeah. And I think that where we come in as a company, because we're kind of bringing in the technology for this, right? Um, be very easy to look at a company like PushPay and think, oh, well, you know, they're just they're just selling a software. Um, but it's, it's not just that, right? Because one of the reasons why donations and generosity in the Catholic Church are declining in the U.S. is because there are a lot of churches that are not adopting technology or not adopting it well. Um, and they're kind of settling for, you know, maybe technologies that are okay and they, they may work. But like one of the things that we talk about at PushPay a lot is if it takes someone 30 seconds or longer to donate, 
then there is an 80% average that they're going to drop. They're going to stop that transaction. They're not going to go through with it. So if you don't have giving that is quick and speedy, you're going to miss out on a whole generation, right? I'm, I just turned 35. I'm a millennial. I've got three kids now, right? Millennials are getting into their forties, right? That's typically when people start to become more generous. If you don't have the good technology to capture that generosity in a way that translates to the younger generations, then you're going to immediately start missing out on those funds. Doesn't mean that you, you know, don't still pass the basket for those that prefer cash or check. But you know, I don't carry cash. I don't have checks. There's a whole generation now that only knows how to give electronically, and so we have to make sure that we're not only doing it well and, and providing those opportunities, but providing excellent technology, uh, quick technology, things that are going to really feel good when they're doing it, not feel clunky like I'm having to create you know, login stuff and, you know, give my yeah. mother's maiden name just to give $10 to the food pantry. Yeah. Honestly, the login thing with the phone is, is very easy. Yeah. And it's what Pushpay is one of my first experiences with that, where you don't have a password. And, yeah. and I think more and more companies are, are doing that type of thing. So let's talk about that idea of, of church and, and technology. Because uh-huh. I, I recognize the need for, for our parish staff and the like the website and things like that to be, you know, if not cutting edge, at least not in the bottom half of like doing what sure. they did in the 1980s. We need to keep up updating our stuff and have a website that right. is meaningful and accessible and everything. But uh, so part of our conversations when I went to Push Pay, I think I, I, I was told, you know, hey, bring it you can have qr codes in the pews you know you could have people bring out their phone at the offertory sure. scan something and, and make a quick donation and for me that that that's that's not what we're after mm-hmm. as a church just from a worship experience especially sure. in the catholic world you walk in and i think i think it would be a goal for saint anthony's to you know leave the phones in the car lock them because we've been having a, a rash of uh catalytic converter thefts on campus. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, it's minor. It's, uh, it's taken care of. We, we, so that was month, a month ago. Yeah. Sorry. Don't mean to scare your pressure. <laughs> Lock um, your cars though. Yeah. But you know, leave the phones at the door. You know, it's, yeah. it's a walking distraction. I'm looking at mine and I'm tempted to check my email right now. And I'm in a conversation with you and, sure. and it's only going to be more so. Am I that boring? You're, I'm, I'm Come dying. on. <laughs> I am dying. <laughs> But, you know, I'm, when I'm sitting in Mass and it's a homily, especially maybe I'm not connecting to the homily or yeah. it's a long song I don't like, aren't you going to be tempted to check that phone for other things? And don't we want to discourage that yeah. as much as possible in a worship setting? Yeah, I think I, I definitely I agree with you. I think that there's a balance. You know, one of the things we talk about uh, at Push Pay a lot is the difference between how we serve our evangelical customers versus how we serve our Catholic customers. And one of the things that... I like to point out is that while the evangelical customers, they're focused on our technology for that Sunday experience, for that moment when their pastor, you know, gets up on stage and says, you know, take out your phones, folks, because we're going to give to this mission and plays a really cool video. That's not what we're about as Catholics. That's not the sacramental experience that we're going for. So what I say is that our technology for the Catholics is for everything outside of mass. It's for the other six days a week when Mm. you're doing things right now, you know, we can debate all day, right? Like, is there a good use case uh, for technology in mass? I think that to your point, if it's distracting from the liturgy, then no, ultimately it's not. I personally will actually take out the St. Anthony's app still 
um, sometimes during mass, just simply to follow along with the readings. And then I put it away. Um, so to me, that's no different than opening a book um, and, you know, or opening the Magnificat and reading the readings along if that's your preference. But I'm very deliberate in that as soon as that's over, I put the phone away and I don't have it out the rest of Mass. Um, so I think it, there's a, there is a little bit of a, a personal preference. Uh, and I think that we can't, we certainly can't let technology be a, a distraction from the liturgy or, um, it, it, it's just like music, right? Like in, in the point of music in liturgy is to enhance it, to point people mm-hmm. back to the sacrifice that's taking place on the altar. So with technology, I would say the same thing, right? You know, uh, 500 years ago, they didn't have speakers in churches, uh, but we have speakers now because it's a technology that enhances the liturgy. So does Facebook enhance the liturgy when you're sitting in mass or Instagram or TikTok? No, it doesn't. So that's not something I would say that would be good. But if it's, you know, I'm someone who has, who's hard of hearing and sits in the back corner uh, and I can't hear the reader well, well, can I take out my phone and follow along in the readings? Then I would say, yes, that's a good use of technology. Yeah, I suppose from my pessimistic point of view and with my own lack of discipline. <laughs> You're such a rad trad. I can see it. <laughs> no, actually, I want to talk about that, too. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I just don't see it as being... Like I can't bring my phone into the church. That's good. And sometimes uh, yeah. I'll miss out on a second a second collection and I'll have to hopefully remember yeah. later that day to yeah. make a gift. And it's true that, you know, you have to be intentional. Yeah. And, and for our, our perspective, I suppose that means being intentional about telling people what the section, second collection is going to be. Yeah. Last week was Father Matthew's second oh, collection. Oh, for the Francilians. Yeah. Yeah. It was very successful. Our, our, our parishioners were so generous. That's One awesome. of the most uh, successful second collections I've seen in yeah. my year and a half here. Well, everyone loves him. Like, I mean, love I, I, I loved having my office uh, right next to Father Matthew when I was here. It was just always a joy because if I was having a bad day or I was down about something and he came kind of walking through the office, so he just brings such a, a sense of peace and humility to every situation that it kind of instantly, whatever you're struggling with is doesn't matter because it's like, look at this man. He's so holy. He is so holy and so kind. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to say about technology is that technology is always evolving, right? And so one of the things we added recently was the QR code generator in PushPay so that you guys as staff can quickly generate QR codes and put them wherever. Maybe it's not in the church, maybe it's in the bulletin or, you know, the reason that that has evolved so quickly is because of the pandemic, right? QR codes five years ago, everyone thought we were ridiculous and not going to survive. Well, pandemic has now made them an excellent technology as we saw with the Super Bowl commercials, right? When I was at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City a few months ago, they actually have QR codes on the back of all of their pews. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason I think that those work and, and they're actually more, they're more discreet than like text to give giving, right? If you think about text to give, that was the big thing before the pandemic. Oh, if I can take out my phone and enter this number with a keyword and then it's going to message me back and then I enter my payment information. Well, it actually is, it's actually a pretty clunky experience in hindsight. Um, so you can still do that through push pay, but what QR codes provide is that if father does get up and say, Hey, we've got this second collection, for example, for father Matthew, and I am sitting in the pew, I can discreetly pull up that page. It's going to take me straight to that payment page. I can make my donation and then get back off my phone and, and re-enter the liturgy. So that's the part that doesn't work though. Get back off your phone and re-enter the liturgy. Cause I think once you bring in that phone, you're going to be the, ma- the majority of people are going to have some kind of distraction there. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I applaud you. I think you're right. Like if we can, there are a lot of times when I walk into mass and I just leave my phone in my car because I need that complete silence. I do think there's some folks that it doesn't 
they're not as addicted to their phone as like maybe our generation is. And, and it just kind of depends, but there's an opportunity, I think, and maybe a QR code isn't forgiving. Maybe a QR code is again, to pull up the daily readings. The readings. Yeah. You we know, like there's, there's quick ways to help people. Again, if, it, if it's distracting from the liturgy, I agree it has to be removed, but if it can enhance, then there's an opportunity there to maybe serve someone in the community, maybe doesn't ex- have the same experience of mass that you have, or, or doesn't have the same, um, you know, again, like I use the example of someone who can't hear or something like that. There's, there's ways to help people through technology to enhance the liturgy for those people. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where the world goes and where Catholic parishes as like on average go, because on average, you're not going to see right now QR codes in, in pews, but maybe five years from now, that's where what's where the norm goes. Yeah. And we've seen some churches that are being more discreet with it. Like instead of putting a QR code, like actually on the pew, cause that also kind of defaces the pew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and who knows how long they'll be around for, right. They'll put them like inside the back of the hymnal so that it's not like visible, but if you're sitting there kind of thumbing through or they'll put it on the back of the bulletin or on, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, that way it's more discreet. Um, yeah, yeah I, I would be more amenable to something like that. Yeah. So where you gotta, you still have to find it and it's not it's on an, the pew itself. But. Yeah. It, it, it's a weird balance because the church is sacred, right? The liturgy is yeah. sacred and, and right. even the building itself is sacred. So, well, yeah. And, and with, in the Catholic world, there, there is something to entering a, a space that's unlike the rest of your world. Right. You go to a, a world in which the, the celebrant is wearing huge robes yeah. and he's chanting. Yeah. He chants. Right. And you know, you're speaking in a way that you don't speak the rest of the time. We don't have the vernacular. I mean, we speak in the vernacular in the sense that it's English. Right. But the vernacular in the sense of like the way you and I are talking to each other is not what's happening no. in the liturgy. Yeah, the prayers are, are very uh, methodical the, and elevated. Yeah. And and th- that's something that I think we need to appreciate about the mass is that yeah. it is completely different than the rest of the world for a reason. It's a meeting place of it should be, yeah. heaven and earth. So interested to see where that goes. I'm not a rad trad. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. I'm, I'm a rad trad some days. There's this um, <laughs> kind of movement in the last few years in the church that um, it's been called tradismatic. Mm-hmm. Have you heard? Uh, yeah, I've heard that phrase. I, I just always say rad trad because it's easier. Well, tradismatic is a combination of traditional and charismatic. Right. So I think it comes out of places like Steubenville. Exactly. I was yeah. reading this article uh, about, it was specifically about Steubenville, but uh, as a reflection of what's going on in, in certain young circles, I guess, in yeah. the Catholic Church, where there's a, the example was a old, you know, 200, 300 year old hymn being played on guitar. Right. You know, um, or a woman walking in in athletic shorts wearing a chapel veil. Right. You know, yeah. and, and there's this sense there. Like, <laughs> Which I have I have many thoughts about that, yeah, but yeah. we'll leave that alone. Uh, but there's I think there's an attractiveness and I think I've lie somewhere in that tradismatic. Yeah, I, I think I do, too, where it's taking it's just taking the best in this like middle path where, as you know, if you've ever read you know, Aquinas or anything, this middle path is generally where virtue lies. Right. And to take them, this middle path between this old traditional sort of what the Catholic church, if you think about the Catholic, what people think of the Catholic church is like this, you know, old fashioned stodgy, even relic of a time gone by. Right. And then this charismatic world, 
where you see the ev- evangelical experience maybe yeah. and then but but to combine them in some way that's f- fully catholic but also what the youth are hungering after which mm-hmm. is so we see our youth hungering after things like the latin mass yeah and and, and other, it scares a lot of clergy which is really interesting yeah <laughs> right but we also see youth loving things like praise and worship music yeah um I think it's it's both and it, it doesn't have to it shouldn't be either or and that's that's I think that's what's been really um, difficult the last few years for a lot of young Catholics is there does seem to be this aversion to the Latin Mass from some of the clergy uh, and I can say this now because I don't work here um, and I'm not saying that just about St Anthony's I'm saying that in general there is a generation uh, that grew up you know right after Vatican II and they saw kind of this. Uh, I hate to even call it this, but this kind of liberation that took place within liturgical settings. Um, and, and not all of it was bad, but there was definitely, I think, a pendulum swing that went a little too far where we lost some of our Catholic identity uh, and what it meant to be Catholic in liturgy. And I think that that's what you're seeing with young people now, this kind of tradismatic generation is, yeah, I love praise and worship. I love to sing Matt Marr with the best of them. Um, but I also can really appreciate uh, the smells and the bells and the Latin. And the other thing I used to say uh, when I worked here, uh, when I would talk about this with, with parishioners is they would say, why, you know, why is this younger generation interested in Latin? I don't want to go back to that. Like I didn't like that. We didn't know what was going on. Well, you also have a generation now that is much more, um, multicultural, A, a different language doesn't scare us. Um, and in fact, when, you know, we have more resources to study what the words are in a Latin mass, um, and to see the beauty and the and the roots that take place there. And also, we've grown up in a very sterile world. So the idea that we can now have something that is is much more rooted in our tradition, like there's there's that desire to get back to that. and And that's what I always say about, you know, kind of taking it back to technology as well, right? Like I hate technology in the church for the sake of technology in the church. If your parish just has a website just because you have to have a website, which most dioceses require that now, it's evident that you're not putting forth any effort. Your your website should be a, a tool of evangelization and should reflect how you feel about your parish community. Um, so in the same way that our ancestors built the cathedrals in Europe to reflect their love of the church and of scripture and of uh, the sacraments, um, our technology, if we're using it, should do the same. It should be excellent. Our website should be excellent. Our parish app should be excellent. They don't have to copy what the evangelical church is doing, and they shouldn't. That's not who we are. We are Catholic, and so it should be beautiful. Uh, and there's so many great young Catholic artists and digital artists uh, you know, that are doing this. If you've ever seen, um, I think it's called Beratus Catholic. It's a He's a young artist out of Atlanta, um, and he is just creating incredible Catholic digital art. You can order his stickers online and stuff like that. And um, he he just redid a teen Bible study series through Ascension Press. And it's all this like digital art that he's created. But you look at these images and it reflects the depth and the richness of scripture and of our faith. And I think that uh, at a parish level, we have to do that with the technology that we're using as well. Otherwise, it's just technology for the sake of technology, which is hollow. Yeah, I I agree with all of that, you know, being excellent in all of the things you pursue and um, and even uh, being open to these new types of beauty yeah. that, that have not existed in the past. If you walk around our campus, you've probably seen the saints images yeah. uh, that are um, that are everywhere. They're yeah. not old fashioned images. No, you know, they're they're not something you would have seen in the 1500s, right. but they're a new type of beauty. That, yeah. 
that maybe has not was not even possible. Yeah. Because it's it was it's created on an iPad. Yeah. By one of our prisoners' daughters, and uh, yeah, I find them to be very beautiful. I find that they each one of them really uh, portrays maybe the main virtue or two virtues of each saint that we're that we're displaying. So, and I think you can tell in those images that you can tell that she has a prayer life, and that she prayed about those images, and it's reflected, even though it looks different than you know, visiting and seeing the art in the Vatican or whatever, you can still get a sense of the, the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the prayer that went into those images. And I think that that's the thing, right? Like it's very evident when God is moving in technology or in art or whatever it is, tying it back to technology. One of the things I always say is like, as Catholics, we're, we're baptized, right? And so our baptism calls us to be more creative than the secular world with the tools that the secular world is using, we can use those same tools too, but we should be more creative than what the world is offering and draw people in into a deeper beauty through those those different resources. Yeah, I think people are scared of doing that, using secular tools, like Christian rap. Oh my gosh, you know, but... Well, I have my own opinions on that. <laughs> that's all right, I'll, I'll leave them out. But the point is, you know, we've had a... Teach we've, our own. Though. We've had an episode on uh, transcendentals, uh-huh. goodness, truth, beauty. Right. That's not going to change. Right. But our tools are changing. And, yes. and the point is like the tools that is used to create beauty might be different. Yeah. They're different now than they were 50 years ago and they're yeah. going to be different in a hundred years. But the, what is beautiful, what's defined as beautiful right. uh, is not going to change. It may look different, but that doesn't mean it's not going to well, be beautiful. You know, a great example of this is uh, the metaverse, right? This new virtual reality world that, that Mark Zuckerberg is creating through his new company, Meta, formerly known as Facebook. You know, our company is working with some churches on the, the Protestant side. They're creating metaverses, their churches. And some people ask me, they're like, do you think the Catholic church is going to go that way? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Reason being, uh, I think that the metaverse is the antithesis of the incarnation. It is the anti-incarnation, right? It is the anti-sacrament, meaning that we are called to receive the sacrament in person, incarnate, just like Jesus came to earth. Otherwise, it's just this kind of... Um, hologram of the sacrament. So I don't think that the Catholic church will ever go that way. And I would never encourage that. But here's an example of how you could use the metaverse for a Catholic experience. It would be really amazing. What if you could all of a sudden capture these beautiful ancient cathedrals and create a museum experience of them for someone that's never able to visit the Vatican or an experience of like kind of walking the Camino or something like that in Spain in the metaverse. Like those are things that, again, they're not going to replace church and the sacrament. And I would never encourage that, but there can be a use case that as Catholics, we could start to use these tools for the sake of evangelization. It's something to think about and it's, it's weird, but no, I don't, I don't think I would ever encourage a parish to go into the metaverse for the sake of live streaming their mass. Yeah. We live stream on the metaverse right. digitally. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I I would have to think about that a long time. Yeah, uh, it, it's really interesting though, right? Because this is the reality that we we can't, as Catholics, we can't shy away from the reality of the world. We're not called to be closed off from the world. We're called to look at this and say, okay, how do I look through this through the Catholic worldview? Is there a use case where this can bring about some sort of goodness, truth, and beauty? And there's going to be a lot of cases where there's not, and I just have to throw that to the side. Um, and I think also everything in moderation, right? Like I don't oh, want to yeah. live in a metaverse world. I, that exhausts me just thinking about it. I'm on zoom calls enough as it is for work. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyways. yeah, we need reality. We do. Yeah. It's really important because a lot of people in our world don't live in reality. So. No. And we need it. 
Um, all right, Stephen, thanks yeah. for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being back. <laughs> Did I give you enough to think about, Nate? Oh, <laughs> uh, you got. I'm I'm frightened of the metaverse. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> don't heard. be don't be afraid. It's not coming. I, I don't think it's going to be a thing for us as Catholics, but we'll see. We'll see. I enjoyed our time. Yeah, you're absolutely. welcome back anytime, Steve. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Keep my keep my office tidy. You know, <laughs> yeah, just <right>. kidding. <laughs> I'll leave it like you left it for me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Peace.